Have you ever noticed how good people are at making excuses? Like it's kind of something I think we're just, we're so natural at, right? We have excuses for everything, by the way. We, we have excuses for why we came late to work, why the food is burnt, why the car is dented, why the bill's not paid. We, we have excuses for why we missed that deadline, right? Why, why we didn't get in that project, why we offended that person, why they are upset with us. Like we have these excuses for Everything in our lives, I do it, and I know you do it, and if you think you don't do it, I'm sure you have an excuse for why you don't, right? Like, we just are, by nature, we like to give excuses. We don't like to be in the wrong. And you better believe that this habit that we have of making excuses definitely seeps into our faith. Like, it definitely seeps into our walk with God, without a doubt, Like, even when it comes to Christianity, if we had to be really honest, we're good at making excuses for all the things we kind of know we should be doing, but we're not doing. We have a reason why we're not doing it. Like, we have a reason for why we're not serving, why we're not going to church, like, why we're not part of a circle group. Like, we have a reason for why we're not giving. We, We have a reason for why we haven't done that. Like, we just, even when it comes to, to God, we have these excuses. And today, what I appreciate about today's story is we're going to be looking at a man who had all the reason to have excuses. Like he had all the reason in the world to make an excuse and and we would have even let him off the hook and thought, oh, shame. But instead of making an excuse, we're going to see him obey God and God do something remarkable in his life. And so today, as you heard, we're starting off this series called The Hidden Heroes. And it it just seems like when it comes to God's Word, there are some stories that we go back to again and again and again because they're the big heroes of the Bible, the Moseses and the Noahs and the Davids. But in between those big stories are so many little stories, these little moments of men and God who did remarkable things with God. And and, and we want to stop in this series and look at those hidden heroes, look at What was the experience with God? Because I believe we can learn a lot about God. We can learn a lot about faith, about life, by looking at these heroes. And we're going to find them in the book of Judges. Everyone say Judges. Now, the book of Judges is in the Old Testament, but between the books of Joshua and Ruth. And we're going to see a whole lot of hidden heroes in this book. And today's hero goes by the name Ehud. Can you all say Ehud for me? Now, what we see in this time of Israel's history is they were really kind of flip-flopping with God. We see them for a few generations. They're walking with God and they love Him and they honor Him and they obey Him. And then they kind of get distracted by the world. And then they follow the world and they follow other gods. They fall in love with other religions. And then things go really bad for them. And every time things go really bad, they kind of cry out to God. And then God sends them a deliverer. In Scripture, they were called a judge. Now, I know when we think of judges, like we think of someone in a courtroom behind a desk in a Batman suit with a gavel, like, order in the court. Now, these judges were not that. Okay, well then, they were not courtroom judges. You've got to think of them more as local leaders, like a chief of a village. 
Like this is what they were. And so when Israel fell out of love with God, when they fell into disobedience, God would raise up a judge to bring them back onto the right course. And so we're going to find this judge that God now brings up in Israel. He goes by the name Ehud. And the story starts off very sad. Like I told you, Israel was in and out of love with God. We're going to find them out of love with God in Judges 3. And let's read together from verse 12. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like again, they fell out of love with God. Again, they fell into disobedience. And because they did this, because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Here we see something really significant, guys. Is Israel, they had disobeyed God and disobeyed Him and disobeyed Him. And because of that disobedience, God had allowed this nation to be overthrown. He had allowed them to be taken over by King Eglon. And it teaches us, before we even get to the cool part of the story... It, it reminds us that you and I, when we choose to step into disobedience, we're also stepping into or out of favor with God. When you and I choose to step into disobedience, we're stepping out of God's blessing. We see that we're stepping out of God's hand of protection because the reality is God never blesses disobedience. God never blesses it. In fact, will you share that truth with someone sitting close to you? Share with him, God never blesses disobedience. It turns out that God just loves you too much to rescue you from all the consequences of your bad decisions. Like God just loves you too much to rescue you every time you disobey. And you might think like, whoa, that doesn't sound like love to me. But, but think about this through the eyes of a parent. It would be unloving if a parent always rescued the child from the consequences of all their bad choices. Because how would that child ever learn? It wouldn't be a sign of love. It would be a sign of cruelty. You'd be hindering that child's growth. They would never mature. They'd never learn the difference between right and wrong if you kept on rescuing them from the consequence of their bad choices. And it turns out God is the same because guess what? He's not a bad parent. And He loves you. He loves you way too much to always rescue you from the consequence of your own bad choices. And this church is not just an Old Testament principle. We're taught this in the New Testament as well. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. It says from verse 5, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and he chastens everyone who accepts, he accepts as his son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. And I know this isn't like a topic we love to dwell on. Or think about too much. But the reality is when you step out of obedience, you also are making yourself available to God's correction 
and to his discipline. Why? Because he just loves you. He's a loving, attentive father. And I wonder how long it took the Israelites to make the connection that the reason they were being oppressed was because of their disobedience. Because I think for us, sometimes it takes very long to kind of make the connection. When we're in a hard time, we're often just so focused on the problem. We're so focused on the trial that sometimes we don't ask ourselves, could there be a reason I'm in this situation? Like, could this be part of God's correction in my life? And if we don't ask that tough question, we just end up blaming everything else, right? We blame the devil. We blame life. We blame God. We blame our family. We blame the economy. Like, we just end up blaming everything. And we're like, why does this keep happening to me? There's this pattern and it just happens again and again and again. And sometimes we need to say, well, is there maybe a connection here? Should I have a look? Is there a place in my life where I'm constantly stepping out of obedience? And so God is needing to come and bring fatherly correction in my life. He's using these circumstances to try correct my decisions. Perhaps we, we keep making excuses like God you know, this is why, this is why I'm, I'm not going to get involved. Like, God, this is why, this is why I'm not, not going to love them. And this is why I'm not going to forgive. Like, God, this is why I'm not going to give. Like, God, this is why I'm not going to do that thing. But perhaps that results in us being disciplined by this heavenly Father who loves you so much that He will not rescue you from the consequence of Every bad decision. Sometimes the reason we struggle is because we continue to disobey. And so I want to encourage you to step into obedience. Step into obedience in your relationships, in your habits, in your sexuality, in your finances, in your words. Can you obey God? Because the reverse of this is also true. God always blesses obedience. And that's some good news. Will you share that good news with someone? God always blesses obedience. When you're willing to step into obedience in your relationships and handle conflict the way God tells you to, you find peace. When you're willing to step into obedience and share Jesus with people that you work with, you find them having a salvation experience. It's a massive blessing seeing a life transformed. When you're willing to step into obedience in your finances, when you're willing to step into obedience in your serving, like when you're willing to step into obedience in your marriage, you find the blessings of God and He honors the desire of your heart. God always blesses obedience. And so I think at some point the Israelites finally made the connection that the reason they were being oppressed was because of their own disobedience. They had chosen to step out of obedience and step into a lack of protection. They stepped out of God's favor. It was their choice, by the way. God didn't push them out. They stepped out by their disobedience. So they finally made this connection. And what did they do when they realized why they were being oppressed? Is they cried out to God, it says in verse 15 from Judges 3. Again, everyone say again. I mean, and this is true, truly again. The Israelites were just following God, then not, then following God, then not. It says, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. And what did God do? It says, He gave them a deliverer. Oh, guys, this just shows so much 
the heart of God. Is God not patient with us? I mean, because God could have so easily, come let's be honest. He could have so easily, when he heard their cries, be like, come on guys, you've ignored me for 18 years and now you want me to do something? Like, who who are you kidding? Again? Come on, you, you guys have come at me with this 48 times you have turned back to me and and now you just want me to, to what, like jump because you're asking, because you finally acknowledge my presence. Come on, guys, like who are you? You want me to get involved now? You've just been ignoring me for, for 18 years. You haven't even said my name and now I must just help you out? I mean, that could have so easily been the character of our God, but instead they cry out to God and what does God do? Sends a deliverer. Can we thank God for his patience this morning? Is he he not a patient God? That's how he responded to the Israelites. And I want to say, that's how he responds to us. Every time we go back to him, by the way, his response is patience. He loves it when we return. He never turns us away. He never rejects us and scolds us. He just welcomes us back. It tells us again in verse 15, let's carry on reading it. Again, the Israelites cried to the Lord. He gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. Now, a more accurate translation, instead of saying a left-handed man, would have been a man who could only use his left hand. It turns out Ehud had some kind of disability in his right hand. He wasn't able to use it. And let me remind you of how society in those days treated people with disabilities. People with disabilities were scorned and shunned and excommunicated. They were seen as being cursed by God. I want to tell you, this is the most unlikely deliverer of Israel, a man who could not use his right hand, but instead was forced to do everything with his left hand. Let's carry on in verse 15. It says, The Israelites sent him with tribute to to Eglon, the king of Moab. I want to remind you that when a nation was overthrown, when a nation was taken over, that nation who was now captured would owe the king taxes. Right? They They would have to pay their oppressor taxes. And so this is what Ehud was busy taking to to King Eglon. He was taking the taxes of the Israelites. In verse 16, it tells us, now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He'd made a double-edged sword. It was a cubit long. It's about 45 centimeters, if you can imagine that. And it says a very important detail. He strapped this to his right thigh under his clothing. Why is it important? Well, traditionally, all the warriors would be right-handed. And a right-handed warrior, where would you, you strap your dagger? You would always put it on your left leg. So you could reach in and pull it out. Ah, but not Ehud. Ehud did something that was unexpected by the court guards. He had this dagger on his right leg. Because obviously that boy, he could reach in and pull it out. And And because of this disability, he was completely overlooked by the the king's security team. Because of this disability, he was uniquely positioned to be used by God. In verse 17, it says, 
he presented the tribute to King Eglon of Moab, who was a very fat man. How, how do you like to be known as a fat man of the Bible? I mean, he must have obviously been extremely overweight for that detail to make it into the Holy Scriptures. But I want to say that Scripture is not saying this to be mean. I think Scripture is saying this to show us, remember why he's so fat. Remember, it's showing us that he has become fat off of Israel's sacrifice and taxes. Like he has now become overweight while Israel starves. It's to show us the corruption of this king, to show us the greed of this king. Here he is living in luxury while Israel is struggling and under oppression. And here's where the story gets really good. I tell you, as a kid, I just love this story. It says in verse 18, after Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on the way those who had carried it. I mean, this was so much taxes from Israel that there was people with him carrying the tribute for him. It says in verse 19, but on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon. So he was on his way out. He, he reached these stone statues by a place called Gilgal. And now he goes back to the king and he says, your majesty, I have a secret message for you. Now, this is something my kids do all the time. And I want to say to your dad, do not fall for it. My kids will say, dad, I have a secret for you. And then I'll lean in. And then they'll burp in my ear, right? Or, or I'll lean in and I'll shout, ah! Like, ah! Yeah. So the king fell for it. Clearly he didn't have sons, right? Because he fell for the trick. In fact, this is what it says. The king said to his attendants, leave us. I want to hear the secret. Leave us. And it says they all left. His entire security detail left. This is what I want to tell you. Ehud was so unimpressive and looked so non-threatening that the king was willing to be left alone with him. I mean, this is a guy who, who, who completely didn't even, they didn't even worry. He was now allowed to be alone with the king. Right? They, were so un, like, they were so unworried by his stature and his nature and his presence. They were so distracted by his disability that he was now allowed to be alone with the king this guy who everyone overlooked, he, he wasn't a warrior, this, this, this disabled man. Listen, I want, to, I want to say this, guys. His disability meant that he was uniquely positioned to be used by God to deliver a nation. And I want to remind you the same is true with you. I don't know what your excuse might be. I, I don't know what it might be that you take yourself off as a candidate, that, that you... Say, I, I could never do that. I don't know enough. I'm, I'm not holy enough. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't been a Christian long enough. I'm too young. No, I'm too old. I'm, I'm too mature. I've done too many bad things. My reputation's too bad. I just don't know what it could be for you. But I want to tell you that your very disability could be the very thing God uses to uniquely position you for His use. That is how God works. And we see this in the life of Ehud. I promise you, if you had taken a vote to Israel, and you would ask them to vote on a likely deliverer, Ehud would not be the top of the list. He wouldn't even have been second or third or, or three thousandth. He wouldn't have been on the list. And it shows us something so beautiful about the heart of God. God, He loves to use unlikely people. 
He loves it. In fact, this is his preferred way of doing business. We see this right throughout Scripture again and again and again. He uses this shepherd boy, David, to kill a giant that even the army would not touch. He uses this guy called Peter, a fisherman, rough on the edges, hot-tempered, with no theolo- like theological background. He uses him to lead the church. He calls Paul a Christian murderer to disciple the church and spread God's gospel to other nations. He uses Moses, this guy, he, he was a, a stuttering exile who had murdered someone, and he sends him back to the place where he had committed murder, and he uses him to deliver a nation. This is God's preferred way of doing business. Even look at, at Jesus, how he was born, this humble carpenter's son in a manger. Instead of being born in this family of political power or some kingdom, God loves to use unlikely people for the job. And perhaps you've written yourself off or you find it like very unlikely that God would use you for something significant. You, you, you're aware of your weaknesses and your backgrounds and your flaws. While congratulations, you have just become a candidate to be mightily used by God. He loves it. He loves it. He loves using people who are totally unlikely that society overlooks and writes off. That people look and say, I will never be them. And I want to say, I have 100% seen this in my own life. I promise you, if you had met me as a kid, you would not have pegged me as a guy who could be the senior pastor of a church in his 30s. I promise you. As some of you know my story, when I was, I was a kid to senior pastors of a church when I was six years old, it came out that my dad had had multiple affairs in the church. And that, that night that that news came out, it was like an explosion went off in our family. And nothing was ever the same after that. We fled the town. We moved that night to like another province. And my parents' marriage never recovered. When I was nine years old, my dad left us for another woman. And he left behind an incredibly broken family. I was a kid who was just so emotional over all this turmoil that happened overnight. I, I, I was a kid that was just crying all the time at school. I want to just give you advice if you're young. If you want to be popular, cry every day at school. <laughs> you can just imagine what happened. I was a kid that just got bullied the whole time, got called names for everything. I struggled to make any kind of friendship. In fact, it got so bad that when I was in primary school, my mom was trying to like turn things around and she decided to throw me a birthday party and she got a cake and she got decorations and we invited my entire class. And on that day, not a single kid came to the party. And so she went out and she, she picked up someone, she forced him to come and they refused to play with me. They'd only play with my sister. So I just sat there and watched with my cake, my, that guy and my sister playing. I mean, it was just like, I, it, it completely destroyed my character. I became a very shy child. I struggled to look at people in the eyes. I'd experienced the worst of church, right? Like I had just seen church culture at its most toxic and destructive. My sister and I eventually moved in with my mom after my parents got divorced. My dad wasn't paying maintenance. So we were really struggling financially. And so I just became this poor 
sad, shy, lonely child. And that is who I was, but God looked at that same boy and decided that he should be the one that would one day stand on a stage like this, right? Isn't that crazy? He looked at that same kid and said, that will be the one that I want to use to put on a stage in front of people to teach my word and, and help encourage and lead others in their faith. Are you kidding me? He, he decided that same boy would be the one that he would use to build the very church that he'd seen the worst side of. He decided that same boy would be the one. And I look at that and I can just say, guys, no one is more surprised than me. The fact that I can't even stand here and look at you in the eyes. I mean, my mom used to pray so much over my shyness. And, and some would say, nah, she prayed too hard, right? <laughs> but this is what God does. And you know why God does it? He does it because when that happens and when you see that happen, then suddenly man no longer gets the credit, but God gets all of the glory. Like when God... When he can use an unlikely person to build his kingdom, we don't look at the person and say, well, the only reason is because they were born with all those talents and they had life handed to them and they're so smart and they're so strong. And they... No, when you look at someone who's unlikely and God uses them suddenly, guys, you look and say, how did God do that? Like, how did he do that? And God gets the glory for these unlikely heroes in our lives. And I want to just encourage you to today. God can use you far beyond your imagination. He can use you and your life far beyond what, what you can think. And maybe you say, nobody can't use me. Listen, it's not about you. It's about the God who dwells inside of you. It's about the one who can do all things. It's about the one who can make impossible things suddenly possible. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about the God who dwells inside of you, this God who loves to redeem, this God who loves to use. He loves to, to use these unlikely people. So I want to speak in this room and online. I want to speak to every person who says, I can't and I couldn't and I wouldn't and it's just not me and it's just, no, that is not the truth. You are the perfect candidate for God to use. He wants to use your life. No matter what you've done or where you've been and maybe that scares you. Maybe it scares you this idea that God might want to use my life. Did it scare Ehud? I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us like how he felt. But it does tell us what he did. The story goes on in verse 20 to say, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. And as a king rose in his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand and he drew the sword from his right thigh and he plunged it into the king's belly. May God never have a message for me like that. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud, he did not pull the sword out and the fat closed over it. His body absorbed that entire sword. Then Ehud went to the porch, 
Some translations and some biblical scholars believe this was the latrine or the outhouse that he would use a sewage line to escape. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came out and they found the doors of the upper room locked and they said, well, of the king, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. Right, I mean, this is in the Bible. They're literally saying, well, let's wait because the king's on the toilet, right? They waited to the point of embarrassment. Right, some of you wives know what it feels like when your husband's on the loo. And when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and they unlocked them. And there they saw the Lord fallen to the floor, dead. And while they waited, Ehud got away. The most unlikely guy, the guy that not even the security or the king was even worried about. This is the one that God chooses to deliver a nation. And the story is not over yet. It, it's amazing what happens next. It says in verse 28, uh, sorry, verse 27, when he arrived there, he blew a trumpet on the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Uh, these same people that had been afraid and oppressed for 18 years, unable to get free of their oppression, now Ehud is leading them. Ehud said, follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. And so they followed him and took possession of the fords of the Jordan and led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. I love how God uses unlikely outcast. This man that people would have said has been cursed by God. And he uses that one to not only deliver a nation, but inspire a nation and it reminds me of this truth that when God uses unlikely people, guess what happens? It inspires other people to believe for their own victory. <laughs> uh, guys, your victory is not just about you. It's about the victory of the people around you as well. It's about the victory of those who witness your radical obedience and now they're inspired themselves to be radically obedient. It's about those who witnessed your journey and follow in your footsteps. For those who heard you said, no, I can't, I'm not qualified, I'm not able, but saw you do it anyway. It's about their victory, not just yours. When God uses unlikely people to make a difference in the kingdom, it inspires others. And there's these four little words in verse 28. It says, and they followed him. So crazy that they followed him to victory. And then verse 29 says, At that time they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. Look at someone and say, not even one escaped. That day Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Wow. 80 years of peace. I wonder what would have happened if God had told the prophet beforehand what was coming. Like imagine God had said, guys, I know you're in oppression and you cried out to me, but let me tell you the plan. You know the guy Ehud there, that disabled boy? Yeah, I, I want to I send him with the taxes to the king and 
I want to make it so that when he tells the king, he wants to tell him a secret that everyone leaves the room. And, and then that disabled boy, he's going to be the one to plunge a dagger into the king and he will successfully escape and then he will be your leader. I wonder if God had just revealed that plan in advance, it would have sounded insane. Like, God, are you crazy? Like, why would you do it that way? Like, it would have just sounded like that will never work out. And yet God's plan brings 80 years of peace to the nation. And you have to wonder, what if Ehud had disobeyed? If he had disobeyed, other people would have lost out. If he had disobeyed, Israel would have lost out of 80 years of peace. And guys, I want to say to you, people are missing out because of your disobedience. There are things I believe God is calling you to do and you know it. And you know the Holy Spirit has been nudging you and pushing you and encouraging you. And there are people in the life that are missing out on freedom because they're waiting for you to obey. They're waiting for you to step into that stream of God's blessing and favor and do what God is calling you to do. When you disobey, not only do you lose out, but people around you lose out on the possibility of freedom and peace in their lives. So God wants to use you, and I want to ask you today, what is it that God wants to do with your life? What's a crazy plan that God has for you? Maybe you don't know the whole plan, but what's the next step? What is the thing that, that God has been wanting you to do, but you've been resisting? Because a prayer in my life is, I want to, I want to have a quick yes to God. I, I, want, I want to have an immediate yes. So I want to have immediate obedience. Like, God, when you say it, I want to do it. Like, God, when you speak, I want to move. Like, when you say go, I want to go. When you say stop, I want to stop. When you want to say, say stay, I want to stay. When you say give, I want to give. When you, when you say love, I want to love. Like, I just want to... God, you, you get a predetermined yes in my life. Whatever it is you say, God, I want to be quick to obey you. I want to say yes to whatever it is. So again, I want to ask you, church, what excuse do you use in order to not be fully in? Like, what is it? We make excuses for so many things. Maybe you have felt like you're not good enough. You're too old. You're too young. You haven't been a Christian long enough. You've been a Christian for too long. You've done your time. Like, what is it that you might be using to say, God, I don't, I don't have enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not resource enough. I want to invite you today to say yes to God and allow him to use your life. And it might seem really unlikely to you that he could do anything with your life. But just realize it makes you the perfect candidate for God's use. He loves to use unlikely people. The truth is when God used Ehud, the Israelites couldn't say, well, I can't do that. Look how big Ehud is. Look how strong he is. Look how talented he is. Look at the family he comes from. Instead, all they could do is say, wow, if God can use him, he can use me. Truly with God, all things are possible. Church, God wants to do the same with your life. He wants to use you, and not so that you get the credit, but so that he gets the glory. Can I pray for you? Wherever you are, can I just ask you to close your eyes? I believe there's some of you, you know that God is asking you to do something and you've been putting it off. I don't know what that step might be. 
Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's forgiving someone. Maybe it's getting your finances in biblical order. Maybe it's being committed to a circle group or getting your kids to church regularly or loving your enemy. I don't know what it is. But I know it's something because God is continually leading us. He's continually in our lives showing us steps. He he wants us to be moving forward with Him at all times. And, And perhaps you've been resisting His nudging. But if today you want to say yes to whatever it is you believe God is saying to you, I want to pray for you. And if that's you, you ready to say yes to that thing, just so I know who I'm praying with. Can you just put your hand up and put it down? Thank you. Thank you. Hands, yeses all over the room. I just believe, wow, this must please God's heart so much just to see people surrender to Him. So God, I want to thank you for every yes you've just seen. We say yes to you, Lord. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's difficult, God, even when it's out of our comfort zone, even when we can't see ourselves doing it, Lord, we say yes to you. Yes, Lord. I pray for the strength to follow through with this commitment today, Lord, that we would boldly live in obedience to your calling in our lives, that we would boldly live in obedience, God, to whatever it is you're prompting us to do. Holy Spirit, that we would be so attuned to your voice that as you say move, we would move. That as you say go, we would go, Lord. That our lives would not be our own, but they would be used for your glory. Not our credit, but your glory. In fact, perhaps it's a prayer you want to pray right now, wherever you are. If you're bold enough, and if this is truly from your heart, you can just, wherever you're sitting, you can just pray these words. God, use me. God, use me. It's a dangerous prayer, church. If you're ready to pray, just say, God, use me. My life is yours. It's not mine. Do as you please. Use everything I have, Lord. Use every resource, every relationship, every connection, every bit of my experience, Lord. Use it. Use it for your glory. Use it, God, to bring deliverance. Use it, God, to bring freedom. Use it, God, to inspire others. My life is yours. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that new surrender in the church today. We give you praise, God, for your word that inspires and corrects and teaches. And I thank you, God, for every unlikely person in this room. God, when you use them, I know you're going to get all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.